10 to 1, episode 159. Books 2022. Did the volume go any higher on that iPad? Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where Brian says it no longer matters, who is doing the beginning of uh, episode 10, uh, whatever episode number, and then whoever says the title. Yeah. Uh, It used to be very important to him that we swapped every other episode. He would do the episode such and such number, and I'd do the title, and then we swap for the next one. And tonight... Straight from his mouth, he said, ah, it doesn't matter. It's only been, what, five years now that we've been doing this podcast? But he got there. Whoa. Wow. Just a little under 160 in seven years. Yep. But quality. It's like like every other month on average. I mean, every other week. Nothing but quality. That's true. High quality top to bottom made up superheroes yes certainly our books episodes <laughs> i will agree there record yeah. yeah i can't speak to the quality but always fun to talk about books from the previous year somehow com- somehow kind of rank them objectively subjectively 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 objectively fits very nicely into subjectively so you could just say subjectively ah. and cover all your bases I didn't i never realized that what if you it's objectively but you spelled it with a u subjectively so objectively swub. It's so objectively Swell, start saying that. Sounds like a, a very snooty uh, upper crust teenager. I wouldn't know. Girl, that's so objectively. All right, anyway. That didn't sound very upper crust. <laughs> Just forget it. Pretty said lower that. crust. Mid to lower crust, <laughs> I'd have to say. Um, any overall thoughts before we jump into our, our books? Start with your list, so. Hit us with your number 10. Uh, you it, was a, it was a really good start to the year. Uh, my first six books mm. are uh, my first uh, six. The first six books that I read of the year are my first. No. No, wait, wait, wait. Four of the books in my top six are... Um, the first one that I first ones that I read this year. Oh, yeah. So, so I started out with r- four really solid ones and some really, really good follow ups. Um, like it was a good start. Uh, what is what I'm trying to say? Anyway. Okay. So Brian wanted a short episode tonight. <laughs> My theory. and I am just off to a great start, being so precise and succinct in my words it's gonna be a great night here we go but at least we all now know that number one no 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 certain months that you read books you liked no everybody (laughs) you guys can go back and check all the book episodes that we've done i will short uh, say very short and sweet what i liked about the book what i didn't like and be done and then brian will just natter on and on 
about inconsequential things about this book um, that he just read. And uh, it's such a drag. I, anyway, I, I accused you of this earlier. And so you're just saying this so that now if I repeat my my observation on the air, it sounds like I'm I'm just a copycat. Mm-hmm. Well, what's mm-hmm. your number 10? Mm-hmm. All right. My I'd, number... I would like a listener to crunch the numbers. My number 10. Because Dedicated listener. Crap, we're not starting with number one, which is the review that I had pulled up. All right. My number 10 is... Uh, by the way, we're, all, uh, we're on Goodreads, so if you want to read our full reviews, you can do that. Uh, my number 10 is two books. Polyface Micro slash... Folks, this ain't normal. Both are by Joel Salatin. He's a farmer who writes a lot. And he is all about um, farming the better way, not the normal industrial way uh, that uh, most people think of as farms today. And uh, reading these books really opened my eyes to like how it was kind of along the lines of... uh, the omnivore's dilemma, which I read in 2021, the previous year, um, just really opening my eyes to how far we removed we are from, um, our food chain. But then, uh, reading Salatin's books, uh, opened my eyes to how close we can get back to our food and raising it ourselves. And he makes it seem very doable and it is very doable i've i've done a bit of a deep dive on uh homesteading and like there's people all over on a quarter of an acre uh or anywhere from a quarter of an acre to 60 acres um or more uh growing their own food raising their own animals um and doing it uh economically uh just making the land shine. Shine is not the right word. Produce, uh, but like doing it in such a creative way that is also good for the land and not just stripping it of all of its nutrients and minerals. Uh, so it inspired me. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, we're going to start a garden and I'm looking into getting chickens, which a couple of years ago, I remember telling my sister-in-law, Esther, I was never going to own chickens. I'd done a little bit of reading on them. And I was like, no, I don't want to ever raise chickens. And now I'm all like, chickens, it's going to be amazing. We're never going to be without them again. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. So that was my number 10, two books by Joel Salatin that uh, inspired me to try and grow some around food. Folks, this ain't normal. And Polyface Micro. Polyface is the name of his farm. And Micro is him telling you how you can do uh, farming on a very small practical level. Even if you don't have tons and tons of acreage. Uh, which he spends most of the book, uh, Polyface Micro, just talking about how you would do it in a big on a lot of land, and then um, he uses all the principles that he tells you earlier in the book and says, okay, here's how you would shrink that down and still keep in mind these these good principles. All right, I'm done. What's your number 10? All right, if it's going to be a top 20 for you, mine is definitely going to be shorter. <laughs> so that was Polyface, my 
Design or Polyface Micro? Polyface Micro. Okay, he is, he's written both books, but Polyface Micro and Folks This Ain't Normal. Yeah. Joel Salatin. Yeah. Okay. My number 10 is Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. It's a murder mystery. Enjoyed as much as I have uh, any murder mystery that I've read in the last few years. It's uh, a book within a book. So that's always fun. It's a kind of a golden age of mystery, Agatha Christie style mystery as the uh, interior book. And that's what you start reading and you get a couple hundred pages in and the final chapter is missing. And so then it, it moves out into the outer mystery. There's a mystery in the quote real world. And so then you're, you're trying to figure that out. And maybe the mysteries are connected between the, the inside and the outside. And so it's a lot of fun. I figured out some of the mysteries. Some of them I did not figure out. And uh, I recommend them. I'm, uh, I want to read some more of this guy's mysteries. I guess he's, read, he's written some young adult stuff. I'd never heard of him. But I think in recent years he's, he's done more mystery. So that's Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz is my number 10. Okay. My number nine is The Farthest Shore by Ursula K. Leguin. Leguin? I think it's Leguin. Um, this is book three in her Earthsea cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, I've read the first book, which I'm blanking on. A Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah. Yes. And... Um, I like that in each of the, in each of these first three books, she follows a different character while still having uh, a new character while still having a constant, which in this case is Get the Wizard. And uh, this is more of his adventures. Um, I didn't like it as much as the first two books, but uh, still, still a solid book. And. Uh, um, uh, Legine always has a good way of weaving in uh, deeper thoughts into the story with so that it's uh, the the themes that you're thinking about just arise naturally rather than kind of uh, being very forced. Mm. Preachy. Yeah. Yeah. My number nine, The Farthest Shore. Uh, looks like it is Le Guin. Oh. Which is also what I've heard. Okay. But there you are. Yeah, I've liked her books. Not you read that, read one, that yet. one yet. Nope. Read the first two. Okay. Maybe at some point. But I read the for- fourth, and like everybody, there. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, "This is the best book yet." And for me, it felt like the weakest. Uh huh. So maybe I'm missing. I probably am missing something there. Maybe. All right. Go ahead. I'll tell you another book you're missing, and that's my number nine, Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov. Very strange book. (laughs) Uh, It's a good book to have read, but while reading it... So you're saying I'm not missing it. You know how... uh, So our friend from church, Tanya, uh, had a very good analogy. She's not read this book. When I mentioned when I tried to describe it, she said it's like Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, 
like while you're watching it is okay. It, it's fine. You have this to is, watch it. This is not Tanya's analogy. I have come up with this analogy. So, and I've said it. Sorry, Tanya. But I've said it so many times. Yeah, but you didn't say this when I was discussing Pale Fire and trying to come up with a comparison. So, sorry, Melissa. Uh, I guess you need to listen to me talk about my weird books more often. Well, you um, didn't talk to me. Why are you talking to Tanya when you're not talking to me? I was in the parking lot. I don't know where you were. <laughs> so, it's it's very boring because it's a it's a, it's a poem. It's a long poem, like a thousand line poem, and then a literary criti- criticism, literary analysis of the poem, and the guy writing about the poem is really boring. He's not a good literary critic. He's probably an unreliable narrator. <laughs> he's very self-centered, so half the time he's not talking about the poem, he's talking about himself. <laughs> and... It's one that would be really fun to talk with somebody about after reading or like doing a book club would be fun, but it is a chore to read because I think since it's like a, I think he wrote it on purpose to be boring a lot of the time because that's kind of, that's like kind of the point of it, (laughs) but purposely boring is still boring as I put it in my (laughs) review. So if you like Christopher Priest, I know you, you have not read any Christopher Priest, but any Christopher Priest fans out there, this definitely, so Christopher Priest has said he likes this book and it feels like he he read this in his 20s and then he based his career on this. Hmm. So a very, very strange, some similar similar images uh, between this and, and Christopher Priest's book. So that's Pale Fire. Vladimir Nabokov, my number nine. Right. And if any readers, or, and if any listeners are also readers of this book, let me know. We can do a, a spoilery episode on Pale Ooh. Fire. <laughs> I'll have to make sure to not listen to it till I've read the book. Don't want to yeah. be spoiled. Yeah, wouldn't want you to be spoiled on this one. All right. My number eight is a book that I started... Uh, I was a year, just just under a year in reading, and it was Washington, A Life. Nice. And it's by Ron Chernow, and it was it was so good. It took this this person from history that uh, we all you know we all have sort of this mental image that comes to mind of, you know, we've all seen the statues or whatever pictures and yeah, founder of our, of our nation and so forth, but it made him flesh and blood Mm -hmm. and made him human. And it didn't degrade him in doing so. Like there's so many, I don't know, just there's so many writers that, uh, in trying to portray somebody as, yeah, no, they weren't divine, you know, they had their flaws, uh, then they really dragged the person through the dirt, I feel. And Cherno was so adept at giving you a full-fledged history and showing how brilliant Washington was, uh, but he had a, a big temper, he was not, uh, uh, he had a, he was a, very good at save or you know what what he, not a miser but a spendthrift I think is what I'm mm. 
going for it. And but also he had some blind spots in, to where he would lavish money on trying to look like he wasn't broke. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and yet he was a man of vision too. So uh, Chernow just really expertly weaves all of this together uh, to give you a full history and and help you really understand uh, the life of our first president. And I'm sure I'm sure there's more you could read about him. But I mean, this is a great place to start. And frankly, I think everybody should read this book. I feel that Every it's a American. really good. Yes, it's it's a really. I mean, it's our nation's founder. So I, you should get to know something about him. And uh, this is a good book to, to do that. My number eight is Washington, A Life. Yep. I, I read that one a couple years ago. Loved it. Let me go ahead and spoil you and say, uh, so Loved Washington, A Life by Cher- Chernow. Loved John Adams by David McCullough. Liked. Thomas Jefferson, The Art of Power by author. Um, <laughs> write, his writing just not up to the Chernow McCullough yeah. standards. Jefferson, fascinating. The writing, uh, good. Just good. Not going to make my top 10, yeah. unfortunately. And that's like, I obviously the first several presidents are going to be more interesting than some of the forgettable ones in the right. middle. I knew that, but now I'm, I'm disappointed because now the I'm realizing writers the writers either. are also going to be second tier. Yeah. John Meacham, I just remembered is the Thomas Jefferson author. So, uh, yep. So, uh, you told, you reminded me, David Hunt commented last year that he wants to read, uh, through the presidential biographies as well. Just buckle up, David. <laughs> it's a it, it's a little bit of a drop after those first two. It might, for me. All right, on to my number eight. Deep Exegesis. The Mystery of Reading Scripture by Peter J. Lightheart. And uh, I, uh, I want to do an episode on this one. So we don't really need to get into this one. But it's about, as you can tell from the subtitle, about reading scripture. And it's an interesting counterpoint to a book that we read for a reading group at church by Peter Enns. So I want to do a a Peter versus Peter, <laughs> a Lightheart versus Enns on on uh, reading scripture. It's I think that would be a really interesting conversation. And uh, maybe maybe interesting for you only having experienced half of that conversation at this point so that's my number eight let's talk about it later deep exegesis by peter lightheart okay my number seven is building the benedict option a guide to gathering two or three together in his name by leah libresco and uh based off of rod dreher's um book the benedict option yeah Yeah. dreher dreher um, and yep. this is really good. It, uh, she's a Catholic. Uh, if you are an independent Baptist, don't let that deter you. <laughs> uh, there is still a lot of good meat in here about, um, uh, how our mission is people. Um, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in our, our little lives and forget that. And like, 
even just just us uh, here, um, it's so easy for us to not step foot outside of our house. And I, she goes into a lot of ways that you can. Oh, crap! Um, hey guys, I know you love this music. No. I'm, okay. I'm gonna leave that in. That's counting against your time. <laughs> Anyone that's tracking our how long we're both speaking, that counts for Melissa. For the record, <laughs> Brian's been lazy and hasn't gotten the music up on his computer or working or something. And so we're having to play it off of my iPad. And so we're having the non-technical person be in charge of something. That's on him. That's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. Blame me for trusting you. I guess that's fair. <laughs> Back to my book. So, uh, building the Benedict Option. It's about how you can uh, better serve your community. In like, you could sum it up and just like say, have people over. Duh. Uh, pray for them. Duh. Yeah, we all know to do these things. But she gets into like uh, very specific things. Uh, set up a prayer box outside your if you want to reach your neighborhood or or whatever, or just open the door a little bit set up a prayer box outside your your uh, yard and and people can put a paper in there and say stay anonymous if they want please pray for me about this or um, make your yard more inviting to where people want to come in and sit and talk with you like in the old days um, spend more time out in the yard or uh, put a bench where people can sit down and stuff and and have a sign where and saying you know, come join us or whatever. Uh, she talks about if you're having uh, people over, like there's some people that you just never want to invite or you're always like, well, I can't invite them over at the same time as this person and uh, because those two are fighting. And she talks about how we're to be peacemakers and you want to, um, if you can, at all possible, like, work with people but also if someone says hey this person's making me uncomfortable then find ways to still help make both of them uh be comfortable in your home um you can work to isolate one from the other but uh not make any of them feel isolated um and she says it's so much better than this um so just go read the book uh, she talks about there's some people that are very, uh, they're more introverted. So you could open up a room of your house to where if they need to just go and, you know, be quiet and get away for a little bit from all the activity and noise and bustle, whether it's adults or kids, then they can, they have a place where they can just go sit for alone quietly for a bit, um, before they get back and be, be social again. Just like very practical things like that. Uh, she talks about how to, um, how to provide meals or, or food for people, uh, how to serve them. Even if you're broke, you know, you can't, you can't really feed everybody or you don't know how to cook. Uh, she gets into things like that, like very practical ways. Uh, we all know that we need to build more of a community and be there for each other. This is a great book to help you get started. Um, and if you're not going to be praying the rosary together, that's fine. Think of ways to uh, may apply this in your own particular strain of, of religion. Um, anyway, great, 
great book. Um, I didn't write a review because I'm going to reread it this year. And I'm thinking about, uh, I don't know. I, I want to take a lot of notes from it. So my number seven, Building the Benedict Option. All right. Yeah, that was one that I was looking at reading. So I'm glad you glad you read it and enjoyed it. My number six. Six? Seven. My number seven, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind by Jason Baxter. About such a boring title. The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis? Yeah, no, that part's fine, but okay. then it's like, great. I don't know. You, you don't like great books? You think great books are boring or great minds? All right, so <laughs> I'll just let you sit with that. Um, uh, I like how Jason Baxter brings in uh, Boethius in this book and compares him to C.S. Lewis or the other way around, sure. And Boethius was this really interesting guy. He was... Uh, kind of like the last one of the last um, Romans one of the last Roman classics uh, classicists I don't know if he's a classicist because I don't know what a classicist is but he's sort of like last of the Romans first of the medievals he's kind of like this in between figure that bridged the gap he took all of his knowledge that he had from reading Aristotle and uh, these Greek and Roman uh, uh, people, Cicero, and he put it into, obviously, his own language, his own words. Uh, he's writing from prison, and it's very much uh, kind of a lament that he's writing. And then um, uh, he's, he's bringing in this, this ancient knowledge and applying it to his situation and preserving it then uh, for the future. So he was very influential. And uh, then uh, Baxter compares Lewis to that as this guy that, you know, very fluent with medieval literature. And then that was something that uh, really affected him, affected how he thought and, and the fiction and nonfiction that he wrote. And how now when we're reading C.S. Lewis, we're getting uh, some of the highlights of of the medieval Christian ideas. And uh, so Lewis is this kind of, again, in-between character. So um, it was fun. It was, it was more in-depth than I expected. I expected sort of a popular, um, uh, like we had just read Peter Enns, which is like, uh, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it. Bottom of the barrel is popping into my head. Lowest common denominator. Does that work? <laughs> He's writing for Sounds the. a little nicer. <laughs> He's writing for a very popular audience. Jason Baxter's writing for a little bit more of a, I guess, a scholarly audience. And I'm not a scholar. So this one was, a, I had to focus a bit to read it this one. But uh, it was very interesting. Very good. The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis by Jason Baxter. Well, that does sound better. Uh, I guess when you first mentioned it, yeah. It was more like, instead of a biography of this person mm. that we're all very familiar with, we're all, we're just going to go into this uh, biography of this random other person who we think probably had a big influence on him. 
uh, oh, in yeah. our opinion. But oh yeah, no, no, I think he knows his stuff, and um, it's definitely interesting. Like he has a chapter on how Dante influenced C.S. Lewis, and um, you know, I'd read uh, Dante's comedy, mm-hmm. and I'd read, of course, C.S. Lewis. But a lot of those things I never connected. And so then reading this, oh, okay, of course this is. Of course. Of course. (laughs) So what have you got for your number seven? Six. Number six. My number six is The Worm Ouroboros by E.R. Edison. Yes, this is a... An old classic. Um, this was published the same year as The Lord of the Rings. Whoa. I believe the at least The Fellowship of the Ring. That's pretty cool. Uh, I really think you should get to it this year. It feels like a mix of Homer and Shakespeare. Now, I mm. haven't read a lot of Shakespeare. Uh, and I haven't read Homer. But based off of what you Hang told on. me. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I'd say it's about halfway in between. <laughs> So and so and William something. <laughs> um, it like, like based on what? Off Did of you what read you that know. somewhere? <laughs> no, no, is I that on the back cover? Aww. In the no, this in is the tradition Melissa. of Homer and Shakespeare. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I know Homer. A Melissa original. <laughs> No, because it's got really Homer epic Jones. battles and triumphs, and it's got this very mythic feel to it. Um, mm. And then it's it's got some really surprising humor. Like it, I wouldn't feel that humor goes with those previous adjectives, but there's some moments where it's just great. Mm. Um, and I expected it to be a little bit two-toned of or two-dimensional, you know, like you get with some myths where, well, okay, this is this guy's obviously the bad guy, you know, he's the Cyclops, uh-huh. and this guy he, going up against him to fight him, obviously uh, the good guy, okay. and I felt the characters more uh, had more depth than that. And there's there's just a terrific villain in there. There's a terrific uh, Benedict Arnold um, turncoat type character. Um, there is I, d- I don't think the the good guys are as full of depth, although they've got their issues too. But um, but yeah, it's it's really really good. I think, I think I know you at least will enjoy it. Um, okay. I don't know how many of our of where, our listeners would. Oh, I don't know. Is it on this shelf over here? It, I, I'm pretty sure it's in in this room. I don't yeah. think it's on my shelf. I don't think I've seen it recently, so might oh. have to pull this one out and move it to my my soon to read shelf. The library's probably got it. No, I want it. <laughs> On my soon-to-read shelf. Okay. Yes, me- my sister Megan did remind me that there's a library today. We have been to the library twice in the last couple weeks, but I still don't always think of it when I want to read a book. Are you done with the worm Ouroboros? Yep, that was my or should six. we start again? Oh, let's see what I did there. Uh, it's a snake eating its own tail. Uh-huh. Oh, man, there's some really great... Uh magic scenes too oh yeah 
All right. Well, maybe I can get to that one this year. It's been on my list for since probably high school. Number six for me is God Emperor of Dune. My I'm working my way through that right now. Yeah. My favorite Dune book since Dune. My favorite <laughs> Dune since Dune, I think I will say. And it's very weird. And there's barely a plot. And it's a lot of just a giant worm philosophizing. But I loved it. <laughs> I will say, like with all the others, um, all the other books, the first three, hmm. uh, they were... The, they were, of course, made better by listening to the Sci-Fi Christian's read-along uh-huh. deep dive. But I feel like this one, the read-along is essential. Uh, you really need the deep dive uh, mm. for it to uh, be, as, for me at least, to be yeah. as yeah, yeah. as uh, rich and full of meaning as the others. I I agree. Go sign up for that on the uh, Sci-Fi Christian's Patreon page. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if you want to unsubscribe after that, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but it's than, worth it for that I mean, and the Moby Dick one. Please go to unsubscribe. <laughs> Brian. I'm just I'm just agreeing with you. I'm trying to trying to support you. I wish you'd agree a little more agreeably. Wow. Put that on a t shirt right with geriatric chickens. Maybe we should make it our goal this year to just say geriatric chickens every episode. I think we're three for three so far. So far we are. I don't think we can work that in when we eat those chocolates. Eat the chocolates episode, but maybe life will find a way. God Emperor of Dune. I think you talked more than I did in that one. And it's my book. (laughs) What else did you want to say about it? I like. I really liked the idea. I don't know if if you've gotten to it, but uh, he gets into the idea that short term plans always fail in the long term. I I did get to that, yeah. And every plan is short term compared with infinity, <laughs> right? So you have to be adaptable. You have to change. You can't get trapped by ideology. And of course, it's going to be organizations, bureaucracies. Uh, these sort of calcified systems that are going to get into that trap, and so um, because they, you know, they they live longer than people, individual people. So, mm-hmm. um, so those are dangerous. You just got to be, you've got to be careful. Speaking of being adaptable, uh, I'd forgotten to mention something I wanted to about the Benedict option, uh, building the Benedict, was that uh, something she says, Leah Labrusco says in her book, was uh, cultivating a spirit of interruptibility um, and being available to people, not when it's convenient for you, but when they need you. Um, Okay, I need this episode to move along. Okay. Okay. I was just testing your spirit of interruptibility. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's always being tested. <laughs> by you, by the kids. I've got a lot of great practice at this spirit. <laughs> Anything else on... Nope. God Emperor of Dune, my <laughs> number six? <laughs> FYI, I'm planning to do this with all the remainder of your books. Let's move on to number five. Thankfully, you haven't read any more of my books. <laughs> 
My number five was Hogfather. Uh, <laughs> Discworld. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great title. It really is. Uh, it's a Discworld book by Terry Pratchett. It's number four in the Death series, uh, the Death books. Um, and in this one, Death has to take on the role of Father Christmas, which in this universe is actually a man with giant boar tusks. Oh, nice. But still has the Jolly Red suit. Uh, okay. But instead of reindeer, his sleigh is pulled by wild boars. I love it. Mm-hmm. So uh, he ta- he discusses um, belief and why it's important for people to believe in things, mm. um, wh- things of, of myth or whatever, hmm. um, and, and that helps us to better believe in um, virtues. Even though the world isn't fair, we still believe that we should try to make it as fair as possible. Uh uh, and that that helps us uh, as as people as humans. Um, very good. Wow. Um, in fact, it kind of gets into uh, I, I'd say what God Emperor of Dune does, mm-hmm. but a lot more succinctly and less weirdly. And it has knobby knobs sitting on Death's knee, asking <laughs> him, and he's asking him, "Have you been a good?" Uh, person or uh, human, uh, uh, male, it's individual, great. individual. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I will. I will not get to that one this year with my one disc world a book, mm. one disc world book a month, audiobook listening project. Have I mentioned that? Did I mention? Uh, I don't think it's you one have. of my book projects. Listen to a, a disc world audiobook every month. I'm one of these days we're gonna do a to top ten Discworlds. Um, but when I do that, I am I'm gonna blow through. In fact, maybe next year I'll just make it be Discworld year. Okay. And I just read all the Discworld books back to back to back. I like I like that idea. Well, by the end of next year I'll have read most of them. I'll be thirty thirty books in if I keep it keep it up the once a month. So I I could I could probably swing that. Although if we wait the following year, I could be finished. We'll 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 talk about this. <laughs> Hogfather. My Can't number go wrong with five. Terry Pratchett. Yeah. My number five is uh, speaking of C.S. Lewis. It's C.S. Lewis's The Discarded Image, and uh, this is him talking about medieval literature. So. Not a uh, not a barn burner, um, but <laughs> what does that mean? Like you said, uh, great books. How great books formed a great mind sounds like a boring book, but I mean this this book is titled "The Discarded Image: An Introduction to Medieval and Renaissance Literature." Like that actually sounds like a boring book. Um, and there are parts in the middle that are are definitely less interesting. He'll go into. Uh, for example, um, I mean, he's pulling up pl- people I've never heard of, like Plotinus. That uh, oh, I've heard of him. <laughs> well, good. I've never heard of Plotinus. <laughs> You're mispronouncing uh, it. It's Plotinus. It probably for Americans is is Plotinus. I was trying to do the Latin. The I actually Latin, haven't uh, heard of him. Pronunciation, but uh, no. So he's going through some of these. And talking about 
specific works that they wrote and, and why they're important and and how they affected later authors. Um, but uh, the intro, uh, very interesting, where he kind of shatters the myth of of medieval Europeans as superstitious savages, and talks about uh, how they they were very scholarly. Uh, the the writers, obviously, you you've always got um, the peasants, uh, right? People are going to be farmers, and and they're not necessarily literate. But uh, the people that are writing the the people that have leisure time, uh, scholarly, they're not basing their knowledge on superstition, but they're basing it on books. And obviously, they're uh, some of their books are not, uh, you know, they're basing things on on Plato and Aristotle, whose um, knowledge of the physical world is not as advanced as ours. Uh, geocentric theory of the universe, for example, but they're basing it. Uh, their knowledge on books um, they they did have that romantic strain you know where they've got the the knights fighting dragons saving them from princesses but that was not as central to their thought as we think I mean that's what we think of for medieval uh, when we think of um, uh, like uh, Bugs Bunny medieval it's him fighting a dragon or we think of right uh, but that's that was some of their stories but that wasn't it wasn't looming as large in their thought. That would be like in a 500 years of people were like, oh, yeah, superheroes were just... Uh, All they thought about. Yeah, their yeah. their scholars were I just mean, talking about superheroes. Yeah, uh, but not central yeah. maybe to our <laughs> scholarly thought yeah. or scientific thought yeah. or philosophical thought. Um, and so, um, so he goes through a bunch of things. And then at the end, uh, the epilogue is is the best chapter where he talks about the medieval model being flawed. Of course, it's not true. So their medieval model of all the planets uh, being in invisible spheres that rotate around the Earth. And, um, of course, we we now know that the Earth goes around the sun. Um, There's gravity. Uh, Newton Newton uh, found out that there was gravity and proved that through, through mathematics. So it is flawed. It's not correct. However, uh, Lewis points out uh, Newton's model, also incorrect. Uh, Einstein proved that Newton was wrong in some ways. Um, so if we, uh, you know, the, the phrase nowadays, trust the science. If you trusted mm-hmm. the science uh, in Newton's day, right. then you're, you're also wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Einstein, apparently wrong. I don't know anything about quantum theory. But apparently we now know that Einstein was also wrong in some ways. We're going to find out some ways that we're wrong now. <clears throat> and so this is where uh, he points out that uh, your your model of the universe, your, your kind of scientific conception of the universe is a map. And um, a map, he says, is a shadow of a place. It's not ever going to correlate exactly. And so um, we... We should be humble and realize our model also incorrect um, and not just discount the medievals as uh, just superstitious fools that didn't know uh, whether the which of which was going around which between the sun and the earth. Um, but, uh, you know, take what we can from them. Uh, they, they definitely had a lot of of uh, of truth 
that they were, that they wrote that we can, um, that we can, I don't want to say make use of, you don't just make use of truth, but truth that we can apply. hold on to apply. And, um, uh, so he doesn't, doesn't say we should return to medieval, the medieval model, but medieval humility. And, um, uh, one more thing, he gets into how philosophy drives science. Usually it's not science driving philosophy. So, for example, we kind of think that um, when Darwin, um, you know, went on his ship journey and saw all the birds, that's when he came up with the origin bi- of species. Yeah, biological evolutionary theory, and then everybody changed their minds based on Darwin. Um, but he points out, even before Darwin, we we had already started shifting in the West from an idea of of uh, devolution to evolution. Um, so the the Romantics, the revolutionaries, think of the French Revolution, where uh, you know the idea is progress. We're figuring out through science that. Uh, we're progressing, we're getting higher, man is getting uh, closer to reason, and we're getting rid of superstition. So they're already talking about a philosophy of evolution at that point. Um, and so then Darwin comes along and he finds now that idea in his observations, but it's the philosophy came first and then the science. So super interesting. Uh, and uh, uh, some boring bits in the middle. Uh, for for people that I'm I'm you know I don't know oh uh, uh, I can't think of any other random names a pseudo Dionysus I guess I'm I'm not thrilled by uh, I don't go into tingles reading pseudo Dionysus summaries uh, but all interesting uh, he he goes into Boethius here and um, uh, that I had mentioned earlier and so. Uh, that's definitely the longest book review I'll give tonight. No, it was all interesting. I was saving up for that. I th- I thought that was good. Well, thanks. That's uh, it's it's interesting because it's C.S. Lewis. My number five, the discarded image. Right, my number four was the tombs of Etuan, book two in the Earthsea cycle by Ursula K. Le Guin. And uh, this was about Tanar and how she is, uh, she's high priestess of these unknown powers and she just wanders these tombs mm. pretty much constantly alone. Uh, and, and you go through all sorts of emotions, like you, you're, you feel sorry for her and then you despise her based on some of the things she's got to do and then uh, like you end up rooting for her. Uh, it's it's really really well done. I like. I think this is the strongest book mm. of the series. Um, mm. But but the first book is a close second. Uh, I read the fourth book. I already said this. Um, I, I've I don't know. You might be good just reading the the, the first two. The third one's good too. Uh, I stopped after the fourth because I was just feeling really disillusioned. Um, they they just did not. See. Maybe I maybe these are books that are best taken with a fair bit of time in between to digest and, hmm. and reflect instead of 
burning through them. So I'm, I'll probably go back at some point, but I think for now I'm I'm just good with what I've read. And my number two is The Tombs of Etwan. Okay. Yeah, I liked that one. I read it a few years ago. My number four is, it is Boethius. Uh, the the uh, Discord group on the uh, for literary the literary life podcast, their Patreon discard Discord forum, read through the Constellation of Philosophy last year, and so I hopped on that and um, uh, read along. And I uh, already kind of talked about him, so we don't don't need to get into him. But let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis from the discarded image. Until about 200 years ago, it would, I think, have been hard to find an educated man in any European country who did not love it, the consolation of philosophy. To acquire a taste for it is almost to become naturalized in the Middle Ages. And H.R. Uh, Patch said, what name of equal distinction has suffered such wane? Uh, he was, uh, so from what I've read, he rivaled the Bible and St. Augustine in popularity. Wow. <laughs> he <laughs> he influenced Dante. This is Boethius. Boethius. He influenced Dante, Aquinas, Chaucer, Milton, Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, he's the only reason the Europeans knew about Aristotle. Wow. Was through his writing until uh, uh, the uh, sack of Constantinople when the Greek priests fled. Nobody has heard of of Boethius. Yeah, I'd never heard of him. Wow! Until the discard image, so it, uh, yeah, amazing. Um, and uh, it was really good. It started off, it started off slow, and I was thinking, oh man, C.S. Lewis really liked this, and yeah. he said you need to like this if you <laughs> are gonna like or understand the medievals. I'm like, oh man, I guess I don't. But uh, the further it gets, uh, I think the more interesting. It got uh, huh. some very interesting philosophy. He gets into um, uh, the problem of evil. Why do good? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? He gets into the the free will versus um, predestination. Predestination. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know things that we we still talk about and think about today. And um, yeah, it's it's good. I recommend it. Okay. Con uh, do you recommend it for me to read? Why not? Okay. I think we could, uh, if you want to want to do it, we could. Ev I could even do a reread sometime, and we could do uh, just like okay. short discussions on it. Could do it on the podcast, or if you want to just read it. But I feel like it's one that's good to discuss. Yeah, like you're okay. saying with, like you were saying with God Emperor of Dune. Not that I would have a lot of of things to bring into right. it, like Ben DeBono does on the Sci-Fi Christian. But it would be good just a good one to kind of even if okay. it's just like a five minute discussion to kind of uh, uh solidify I think. yeah yeah assimilate it okay yeah i think so that would be a good one for that so that's my number four a consolation of philosophy by boethius all right my number three is a book that i don't know if i'd i would have ever found out about it or been interested until you recommended it to me. Yeah. The Enchanted April by yeah. Elizabeth von Arnim. Well, did you read this last year? Or? I did because okay. this was a book they covered on the Literary Life podcast. You can you got to plug that. You can go listen to those episodes. Yeah, man, what a great book! What a great book! It's ah, oh, if you are feeling 
uh, depressed or discouraged, this is the book for you. It's uh, sweet, it's lighthearted, it's funny, it has a happy ending, and uh, you would think, like, how is there any plot uh, if, uh, if a book checks all those boxes? Uh, but it does. It's, it's so good. You have these four women. They're each miserable in their own ways. Uh, they decide to get together and go rent a castle in, on, on, on the bay in Italy, uh, with a couple of servants. And it's about their adventures there and how about, uh, I liked your, your review about how, it heals them. It's kind of like a reverse ghost story where the the house sort of tear the haunted house tears these people apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this place actually heals them and yeah. all you know everything that's wrong with them um, and their their relationships too. Mm. And it's it's so funny too. I love yeah. I love the way everything's written. Uh, really made me want to go to Italy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I really want spring to come. Uh, I I think I, I might reread this. Uh, maybe I'd even read it to the girls. It's such a mm. sweet, charming book. Loved it. My number three, The Enchanted April. Highly recommend to everybody. Yeah, that's another one. I I had not heard of it until the. Yeah. Uh... I can't think of anybody that would not like this book. Like some people are like, oh, I don't like fiction or I don't mm-hmm. like uh, fantasy. Well, this, this, a- anybody would like this, I'd say. I gave this to someone for Christmas. Uh, I don't remember if it was my mom or uh, uh, sister-in-law, Amanda, maybe. Yeah, that that was a good book. I also liked it. Didn't quite make my list. Uh, my bottom six or seven could be in, in swapped out with my first few honorable mentions. It's a, it's a bit of a muddled middle for this year. But my number two, I feel pretty... No, my number three, I feel pretty good about being up here. Uh, I've not even marked this as red on Goodreads. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. Um, no, I'm not ashamed because you can read books without logging them on goodreads it's perfectly fine Uh, but i I am halfway through a review that i started four or five months ago Uh, it's called consider this charlotte mason in the classical tradition by karen glass and um it is i think a book that i want to do a a full episode on so we don't need to get into it um but the in depth but the thesis is that uh charlotte mason the educator from uh, a couple hundred years ago was not just making up her own um her own system that she was familiar with the educators had gone before back to um uh, plato and aristotle and through um erasmus and um comenius and uh, these other folks and uh uh, is following in that tradition of education uh, and then get, she gets into a uh, Karen Glass gets into a bunch of of really good information about um, synthetic knowledge versus analytic so I want to do an episode on that one so I'll leave that there but uh, that's probably my favorite education book right now consider this by Karen Glass uh, highly recommend it if you're homeschooling or if you're 
thinking about homeschooling or if you have children or if you are continuing your own education. That's my number three. What's yours? No, what's your number two? My number two is Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny. Oh, I forgot you read this last year. Oh, man. Man. This is such a great book. Man. Not everybody agrees with me. Sorry, David really? Berg. I thought oh, yeah, this yeah. would be... I mean, I, I praised it up and down, and you just couldn't get into it. So uh, the premise of it is that... Uh, Earth is is dead, and everybody's moved to a different planet, um, and we've got uh, really good tech technology that allows uh, people to be immortal, and so some have made themselves an immortal and given themselves like uh, really awesome super weapons and uh, named themselves gods the hindu gods in fact mm. um and uh they've uh remade life in the hindu theology uh and there's ca castes and there's um uh, reincarnation uh because they've got technology that can bring you back and put you into a different body and there's uh like everything uh in in the Hindu mythology um, and theology. And uh, it's so good because, first of all, the main hero is an anti-hero, which I love. Uh, I'm all over a book most of the time that's got an anti-hero. Oh. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite things, uh, favorite book devices. And um, uh, he's, he's one of one of the the bad guys but uh he's a good guy because he's on our side the little people's side and uh it's it's just about his his fight with the rest of the hindu pantheon um and it, it's so good it's so uh incredibly written uh zelazny weaves uh supernatural with uh uh f familiar stuff and uh, technology and aliens with um, uh, swords and and humans. Uh, it, it's just real, so good. And there's it is so good. Yeah, uh, my my Goodreads review is a lot better at saying what I felt about it. So mm. go read that. But I liked it. If you like fantasy. It might be a uh, yeah. It might be a little bit of a slow Hinduism? start. Anti heroes, but stick with it. Demons, yeah. Those are some of the best parts. The parts with the demons. Plots out of chronological order. Yeah, yeah, that worked for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. If it if it's well done, then it doesn't bother me. It's very good. All right. My number two, Lord of Light. Great number two. My number two, also great. It's by that William guy, William Shakespeare. <laughs> I finally read Hamlet and realized, oh, like our whole language is based off of Hamlet. <laughs> not, not, not literally, but man, there's so many things, so many things that are now cliche from Hamlet. Um, and uh man so many memorable phrases uh the characters are 
it's so splendid. Um, and I mean, the 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 plot of Hamlet, the just the inevitable tragedy of it. Mm-hmm. I can't. I don't have anything. As I joked on some some uh, Goodreads review somewhere, I don't have anything original. No original thoughts about Shakespeare, but that's okay. Because Shakespeare copied all of his plots from <laughs> older stories. So I'm pretty much like Shakespeare. <laughs> but uh, at least Don't for now. Don't get too pretentious. At least for now. This is my favorite Shakespeare play. I think it's his best that I've read. And it's my number two. Hamlet, the Prince of Denmark. And what is your number one, Melissa? My number one is a book that you had read before. Uh, I'm sure that uh, if you looked at my books, you would guess this as my my number one. Okay. Um, but uh, it's Jane Eyre. Ah, uh, that that was uh was my number two in in 2020 because I also read Moby Dick that year. Otherwise, this could definitely have been a number one. What a great yeah. book! Yep, yep, yep. I uh, I'm trying to find what what my friend Anna Claire said about it. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Because it was so good. Oh. Oh, good. <sighs> I'm always nervous about people reading old books. All right. Well, anyway, um, man, what a great main character Jane Eyre is. Yep. Uh, and then what a great uh love story. Uh, mm-hmm. Edward Rochester, dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> melancholy brooding he's so good uh it's uh, this is this is one of the best love stories i've ever read and um the ups and downs uh the i feel like uh jane has to earn things and that's good like at one point she could have everything given to her and she doesn't want it Mm. Um, and was, was it intentionally written to be like Christian? And she, she is Christian Jane Eyre, right? Right. Um, oh, here we go. Here's Charlotte Bronte. Um, was, yeah. I, I like the feel of it where, uh, Jane looks back at the end and she realizes and, and that like, Life has been hard, but it needed to turn out this way. Mm. Uh, so my mm. friend Anna Claire That's said good. it's her favorite book ever. It's oh. like a different book every time she reads it. It's a oh. ghost story or a romance or it's about feminism or about self-actualization or mm. a commentary on social issues of the day or it's about faith in, gla- in God. Mm. Um, yeah, I-, I really liked everything that she said. So I just thought I'd read it verbatim. Uh, if this is one of those classics, um, I think, I think anybody would enjoy. Uh, Brian liked it, so I liked it. Uh, apparently, some guys like it. Brian's pretty manly. Some guys like it, so I, I think, I think you guys, you could read it and not feel like your, your manliness is in danger. Of my, of my Goodreads friends, everyone likes it. Even my guy friends that have read it, which is not very many. Except maybe Clint. Clint, did you like this? 
you don't have a star rating. Which I am not doing this year. <laughs> but I expect you to put stars on all of your books. <laughs> Hypocrite. My number one, Jane Eyre. It's funny that you uh, that you have Jane Eyre as your number one. Because my number one mentions Jane Eyre yeah. in the review for it. Because... Uh, uh, so I, I think I probably said in high school, uh, so my mom had Jane Eyre. It was on a bookshelf in our house. I pulled it down and probably read like five pages of it in high school. And was, ah, boring. Back on the shelf it goes. And then, of course, read a couple years ago, loved it. Another book, read maybe 10 pages, pulled off the shelf, probably put it right next to Jane Eyre. Said, boring, not going to read this. And then read it again for the first time all the way through. Last year, with the girls and with the Literary Life podcast, and it's now definitely one of my favorites, The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> I should read that this I year. I love it. This is this has got to be a, like a top five children's book for me now. And uh, you don't have to be a child to read it, but uh, I mean, it's Animals and Hats. They're having little hobbity type adventures. <laughs> I mean, you go to to Badger's house and he's living underground and he's just all holed up and uh, and uh, uh, but so loyal to his his friends. And you've got Toad, who's ridiculous, running around and getting in scrapes and Mole, who's so bright eyed and and just the whole world is new to him and Rat who's such a good friend to him, the water rat, and uh, going on adventures, uh, boating, and, and adventures in the wood, and yeah, the wind in the willows. I should read this this year. I, th I think that, that would be a good one for you to, to uh, read or to read with the children. Uh, there is a guy on YouTube, I think he reads the whole thing, and uh, he has the most delightfully... Uh, uh, pleasing British baritone. I'm going to see if I can pull it up while you vamp um, or just tell me about some of your, your honorable mentions. Well, I was, um, I, I was going to tell you about a very delightful children's book I read this year. Okay. Or this past year was the church mice and the ring oh, by fun. Graham Oakley. Yep. If you have not read any of the, the church mice series, um, Writing you are in for a treat. Uh, they're not easy to find, but they are so good. It's about these little mice living in uh in a church building, and about all the adventures they they have. And this is this is not a book you just read. Uh, it's a book you see. It's so enjoyable. The pictures are phenomenal. It it doesn't just it doesn't just tell the story. It shows the story. We have the Church Those Mice at fun. Christmas. Pictures are fun too. Yeah. Illustrations. I I don't think, just like I, I was not able to play play uh, music through my phone. doesn't look like I can play through my laptop. Let me try one more time. Let's see if we can hear this. This guy reading about the wind in the willows. Nope. You're just going to have to go to the link in the show notes. He's got a uh, the noise of a, a fire fireplace fire in the background so it's like sitting in a sitting in a a warm 
uh, Dan listening to Grandpa read The Wind in the Willows. If your grandpa was a an inkling or something. I'll put that in the show notes. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see. Any other honorable mentions? I have... Uh, I have a few. Um, I have the Enchanted April that you mentioned. Heretics of Dune. I liked a lot. Another, another, uh, the fifth Dune book. American Pastoral uh, was good. And Away, the Bob Mortimer memoir. You've got to get it on audiobook. Uh, Bob Mortimer reading his own uh, memoir and uh, doing all the voices and, and telling all the crazy stories of when he was growing up and, and, uh, his career starting and uh, through some health problems that he had and uh, a delight. Any other, any other that you want to mention before we wrap this one up? Uh, I read make the bread by the butter. And while I'm still not fully uh, convinced on uh, following the recipes in that book, um, it was, it was just so much fun to read all the stories she had about uh, here's the adventures I had making this food, which that sounds really boring, but uh, when you've been on my end, where you're like, ah, this is so expensive, can I make it cheaper and uh, could I do a good job or whatever, and and you end up actually spending more money because you're trying to figure out how to do it right, or... <laughs> Or all the mistakes that you make, but then you do finally get it right. And man, is it incredible mm. making it homemade as opposed to just buying it store-bought. And now you can't buy it uh, at a store or a restaurant anymore because it is so much more incredible homemade. Uh, so if you are a cook, highly recommend this book. It is worth just to read. Uh, and she even she do, did some homesteading and animal raising too. Um, and her adventures there were so funny. Lydia, Lydia kept on opening up the book to read those stories. Um, uh, just hilarious. Uh, <laughs> some of the things that happened. Um, I do want to check it back out from the library and try some of the, the recipes. Um, like I, I've tried a couple, but I want to try some more. And then I reread Life Among the Savages by Shirley Jackson. Uh, if you're a mom... A stay-at-home mom especially. Highly recommend this. So funny. Uh, and then I reread the uh, middle and last book of the Ink World books by Cornelia Funk... Funk... Funky... Funke? Funke. Yeah. Like Tobias. Funke. Like Tobias. So Ink Spell and Ink Death, they were even better than I remembered. Love that series. And very good. That's pretty much it. All right. I think we've nattered on long enough. But yep. if you'd like Managed to natter to, at oh, us. Oh, uh, last year I did a bunch of Wheel of Time episodes. Ah. Um, still love that shirt, that uh, that book series. All right. True, true. We don't ever do rereads, but uh, but we should. I reread uh, The Return of the King first time in a long time and uh i'm sure i read reread some other great stuff but it's getting late let us know what books you've enjoyed reading in the past year if you got any recommendations for us if you want to follow us on goodreads go to our website tto 
www.cozer.us slash 159. You can check out the show notes. I've got a link to that uh, Wind in the Willows audiobook on YouTube ready to go. I've got links to Melissa and myself on Goodreads, and I've got our lists. So you can see all of that. You can leave comments. People have been leaving comments. Do you have the comments? People have been leaving I for do. feedback. So Megan, I think, is your sister. Yes. Could be I think the Megan, Megan is here my at sister. church. Because it Could just be. says Megan H. Well, she was texting me about this same thing. So Said she... Uh, I'm going to say it's my she sister. She had seen The Godfather. Yes. Um, And two other of the movies that were on our list, but she couldn't be bothered to say which two others. Right. Um, <laughs> and she said she's afraid that made her uncultured. Too many to list. No. There's a lot of culture you're fine missing out on, Megan. There's there's so much culture that is just downright boring and not worth your while. Yeah, but our you're top good. ten films list was those were all great films. Not top movies, ten films. films of all time. But uh, no, I Megan, will be, you're not like, uncultured. That's the one that you want to tune in for. Any more than we were uncultured culture. a year and a half ago when we had not seen any of this. So. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Um, She saw Glass Onion. No yeah. idea what that is. She didn't like it. And Shrek. Mystery. She had low expectations and it met them for sure. After he made <laughs> a candle out of earwax, I just couldn't enjoy myself. <laughs> They did a Mythbusters on that. It didn't really work. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good that you had low expectations for Shrek. Um, and uh, she also saw Remember the Titans. That's a good one. It's been a while. It has na, been a while. Na, 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 and hey, hey, hey. Megan was also Goodbye. commenting. And that was our goodbye music. All right. So long, folks. Also I'm commenting about the, uh, uh, she recommended The Resistance Training Revolution. It's an exercise book. Dude. And she said she loves the beginning of the year episodes. She said we have great res resolutions. She can't wait to see all that we're doing with the house, with the yard. So those are your resolutions. Glad you're planning on more episodes this year. Thanks, Megan. There are things she wants to do. She wants to lift weights three times a day. No, three times a week. Get outside every day. Make homemade strawberry jam. Oh. Eat fish once a week. And the biggest one is figure out how to bake with fresh ground flour. That is something I want to do, Megan. Um, but I, I want to get a good uh, grain mill. Yeah. And I got to figure out a good place to buy uh, good grain from. And I've got to be, I think I'm getting there with baking, baking Grains. bread more often. But um, it's, I'm not ready to make that switch just yet. But eventually. Hit that music. Yes. Well, Turn I this already, thing off. I already hit it, but you missed my cues. We could have gone out on the we Remember not, the Titans no, music. We're not going out on that. It would have been a fine thing to do. We could have tied it into Megan's Megan's comments. No, uh, instead, you just got to be an old fuddy-duddy. Got to have everything your own way. You can also email us, tto at cozer.us. Email's free, unlike the comments that I'm paying for. Brian, Melissa Cozer, hey! we're out. 
but but do leave comments since I am paying for it. I'm not saying don't use it. Please use it. Because we are paying for it. Yes. It's our favorite time of the episode. Yes. Least favorite book. I'll go first. Please do. It was How the Bible Actually Works, in which I explain how an ancient... Uh, well, I mean... You don't need to read the whole title. Yeah. This was my least favorite because Peter Enns is so disrespectful to God. <laughs> um, well, that's all there is. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, the worst book I read this year was Waystation by Clifford D. Simak. Mm. Uh, it's just boring. Is that a Hugo winner? Yeah, and it's just boring. Uh, hmm. Don't waste your time on it. Wow. Yeah, it, it was such a disappointment. I'd, I, I'd had it hyped up to me. It's been on my to-read list for so long. So, But, you know, we did get some good discussion from how the Bible actually works. And we mm -hmm. have just been referencing that book all year long. It's true. Uh, it's been coming up with some of the stuff that sci-fi Christians have been discussing. And it's like, well. It's true. Like, I, I find myself agreeing more than I want to with Peter Eds, mm. not with being disrespectful. But um, but with his, his views. And I don't like it because I don't like Peter based off his book. We'll but just wait for our Peter versus Peter episode. I think you'll tear him up, Brian. I think tear you'll him feel up. a little better. My least favorite was The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. Some people say it's a great book. Maybe it is a great book. I didn't get it. I didn't see it. That's it. 